This week on Myths and Legends, it's two stories from Iceland. On the first, we'll see why loading up on mead and going hunting with your friends is a bad idea, but not for the reasons you'd think. On the second, it's the story of a girl who just wants to kiss a dead guy. The creature this week is your superhero origin story. This is Myths and Legends, episode 258. Welcome back, Cotter. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. The stories this week are fairy tales from Iceland. I call them fairy tales, but the first one has at least some mythological elements, with some giants from Jotunheim. So just keep in mind that Thor and Odin are actually pretty terrible. We'll check in not with the royal family of a northern kingdom, but with a family of farmers who live outside the walls, sitting down to dinner, and a dad who has some news. So the prince has been kidnapped, the cotter said when he sat down to his dinner. His wife shrugged. It didn't really affect them all that much. They were peasant farmers, the definition of cotter, trying to scrape out a living in the shadow of the castle walls. She said sorry if she didn't have much sympathy for a prince who went on a party hunt, then got lost. He'll show up in a few days when he sobers up enough to find his way home. Oh, so you did hear. Okay, the husband said, crossing his arms. The wife stopped spooning out the gruel. Was he mad that she heard things? He said it, 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 it was fine. She just, she scooped him. She scooped his fun, spooky story. The wife sighed. Okay, go ahead and tell your little story. Both the wife and Signy looked to the father, who suddenly said there was a weird amount of pressure on it. It's just, it wasn't as simple as that. Apparently, he said with a wink to his adult daughter, Signy, adding that he had his sources, a mysterious fog descended on the men as they were hunting, and when it departed, only the prince was gone. They searched the woods for the man until dark, but couldn't find him. Spooky, huh? Your source is the town crier who's been out yelling about this for, I don't know, two weeks, the wife said. Eat your gruel. Signy spoke up. Town crier? What did he have to say? The mother spoke first. The king was sick with grief, like literally in his bed dying. He had a proclamation out right now that the person who rescued his son, he would have half the kingdom. Signy nodded, downed her gruel, and rose. Mother, father, she demanded her inheritance, for she was leaving. The couple was speechless. They, what was she saying? Her inheritance? Signy cracked a smile. Ah, she was just kidding. She loved them. She did need some new boots and a pack with some food, though. She was going on a trip. The parents looked at each other. Oh, yeah, that actually kind of equaled her inheritance. They, things were not going well. Signy said, oh, okay. Uh, then she wanted her inheritance, but not in, like, a mean way.
few days later, Signe stood in her new boots and shouldered her new pack of food. This was fun, like, as a peasant child growing up in a medieval kingdom, she always kind of wondered if she would get the call to adventure, but here we go. She thought to herself as she stepped over the threshold of her house. She hugged her parents goodbye, telling them everything was going to be alright. She set off, feet padded by the soft underbrush of the forest in springtime. She didn't know how long it would take. The old tales had heroes traveling the world, going west beyond the sunset, going to the moon itself. She might wear out her shoes twice over before finding the prince. But find him she shall, even if it took ye... She looked up. Oh. She was... She was here. Okay. It was a cave. Not easy to find, but definitely not difficult. A big one, too. The path in was well trampled by heavy feet. Also, it had a very large door, so... Yeah. Kind of a dead giveaway. Giants. Now... What prompts a person to enter the cave in the dark forest? I would imagine Signy, growing up in the shadow of the palace, not being told everything that she couldn't do, but knowing it. Intrinsically, I imagine Signy saw a way out. No one enters the cave in the dark forest lightly, and Signy knew the implications of the king's offer, that it might not include her, but she would face one impossible set of odds at a time. She stepped into the dark, and, a few paces later, immediately stubbed her toe. Wow, it was like these warriors of the king were barely looking. She saw two beds. The one that she stubbed her toe on was large and silver. The one on the far side of the room was gold, and she stopped. There he was. I mean... This wasn't easy because it did require stealing yourself to enter a strange cave in the dark forest, but past that, this was pretty easy. The guy was just sleeping there, in a bed scored with runes. Wow, nice. She padded over to the bed and shook the prince. All right, bud, time to get up. But he wasn't moving. He was breathing, he was still alive, but she couldn't rouse him. Then, a honk. Signy jumped and froze, but relaxed. Two swans living in the cave. Okay, weird. She nodded and smiled to the swan. Hi, you're not like captured people too, right? The jury was still out on whether the swans were real swans or people in the form of swans who were really good at and enjoy doing swan impressions. When Signy felt the rumble. Big door. Big cave, big bed, tremors. There were giants in the land. Namely, two giants who were approaching the door outside. Her eyes now fully adjusted to the darkness. She scanned the nearby walls for a place to hide and found one just behind the door. She wedged herself between the crags before the door creaked and the sun flooded into the cave. Two giant women were bathed in the light of the evening. Fee-fi-fo-fum, I smell a human, one said. I'm sorry, what did you just say? The other replied. Signy heard it, self-conscious laugh. Oh yeah, I just thought I'd try it out, classic giant, you know? The younger one replied. I just, the, there's cultural baggage with that one. The cannibalistic giants? Just so you know what you're communicating when you're saying that. 
the older one noted. Well, you know what? I'm taking it back, reclaiming it. Hey, good luck. And the human smell is probably that human we kidnapped, the elder said, and the shadow gestured to the bed. The younger was hesitant, but agreed. Together, they sparked a torch to life and approached the bed. The elder knelt down to the swans and said, Sing, sing, my swans. Sing, Prince Lini awake. And the swans sang. I don't know if you've heard swans sing before, but it's kind of like clowns with horns and no real timing whatsoever. It's okay. It's better than geese and worse than pretty much every other type of bird. But anyway, these swans sang. And it worked. The prince roused from his sleep and sat up. Was it all a nightmare? What? Oh. He looked at his captors and crossed his arms. The young giantess knelt down to the bed. First, hello. Again, sorry about the kidnapping. Would he like some food and supplementary question would he marry her? She bit her lip and waited for the response. The prince sighed, said no to both, and laid back down on the pillow, looking up at the stalactites. Signy watched as the younger giant... The daughter's shoulders slumped. She sang a much more somber, Sing, sing, my swans. Sing Prince Helene asleep. And Helene's eyes grew heavy to the sonorous, discordant honks of the swans. The mom could see her daughter was in pain and stepped forward cautiously. She said, you know, and this is a no bad ideas thing, but you could just make him marry you? The mom floated and then started to get into her pajamas so she and her daughter could get into their bigger silver bed. She said that, you know, forcing people into marriage was all male giants did. Uh, Oh, and that's who we want to be like? The male giants? The daughter asked. No. Consent was apparently very important to her, and she would get Prince Lini's consent to marry him even if it killed him, the younger said as she blew out the torch. Signy heard a long hesitation from the mother giant, thinking that maybe the mom was going to address the fact that the daughter didn't really know what the word consent meant, but instead she just heard a good night, dear. In a few minutes, the sounds of their snores filled the cave, and in under an hour, Signy followed them to sleep. Signy snapped awake and reached for her sword, but found nothing. Weapons. Oh, she should have asked for weapons. At least made a sharpened stick or something. Oh well, maybe live and learn, or die as the result of her own ignorance. One of those things was definitely going to happen here. She didn't need a weapon, though, because the giantesses had already left for the day. The heavy door was closed, and she could see the maid's silver bed, in the light of the smoldering brazier, stepped out cautiously and then went over to the swans. Hey there, maybe swans. Think you could wake this guy up for me? The swans stared at her like swans because they were swans. Maybe. Signy snapped her fingers. Oh, right. Uh, <clears throat> sing, sing, my swans. Sing, Prince Helene awake. Those were the literal, probably magic words. And the swans sang in the way that swans sing, i.e., not well. The prince blinked awake slowly, 
looking up at the ceiling, over to Signy, up at the ceiling. Wait a second. He sat up. Who? Who was she? Signy smiled. I'm Signy. No surname. Just Signy. And I'm here to rescue you. The prince lit up. That was a nice change of events. He said he had been out with his men hunting, and a strange mist had... She cut him off. Yeah, we don't need to go over it. Logic fills in the gaps between the king's decrees and the previous night's questionings. As much as she liked this exposition, it was time to go. She wasn't a good-looking prince, and if these women returned, they would beat her like a rug. Not eat her, though. They were apparently surprisingly progressive about cannibalism. Still, up and at him. Aw, you think I'm good-looking? The prince smiled. Signy tried to urge him out of bed, then looked to the door. It was midday, and her sample size of half a previous day told her that the giantesses wouldn't be back before dusk. Maybe. They probably went out hunting, but how far out were they? And would Signy and Helene be fast enough? All right, we have to go. Got it. Helene rose from bed. Signy held out a hand, pressing on his shoulder. No, not yet. He said he was a captive of giantesses, very respectful giantesses, apparently, who wanted his consent for marriage, but still, he was in mortal danger. His kingdom was in peril. He had to get back. And say, what if we managed to outrun giantesses in their own forest and make it back to the city? What then? Signy asked. Lini said that they might follow. They do know his name. He did the whole screaming, do you know who I am thing? So, yeah. But he lived in a fortress surrounded by walls. He would be fine. Yeah, Signy said. He would be fine, but what about the cotters, though? And the peasants that lived outside the wall? The prince looked down. Signy nodded. Yeah, they would die. Die for him. Signy paced. All right. They were going to need to figure that one out. It might require him going back to sleep, but Signy interrupted. Oh, yeah, she had some questions. The sleeping thing? Helene shrugged. Just regular sleep. If it wasn't for the crushing, existential dread of feeling like he was going to be trapped here for the rest of his life, it really wouldn't be that bad of an imprisonment. Oh, that and the hunger. You don't need a ton of food when you sleep, but after a couple weeks, he was really starting to feel it. Signy rushed to her pack, still stuffed with food from her parents, and gave Lini some bread to ease him back into it. She thought she had something approaching a plan, she said, as she peeked through the cracks in the door to see the afternoon sun. The prince turned to look at her. That was awesome, because his plan was just to refuse marriage until he died. Or not, and see what marriage to a giantess was like. Signy said that that was good because he was going to have to accept her proposal. It took some convincing, but Signy explained that the runes carved in the outside of Helene's bed, they glowed slightly. Signy didn't know magic or runes, but that seemed kind of important. Helene needed to figure out what those runes meant and how far away the giantesses roamed on their hunts then maybe they could get back and everyone could get inside the walls before the giants knew he was gone. And his only way of staying conscious for more than a minute or two would be to accept her proposal. So, he needed to accept her proposal. He balked at that again. 
What? Was he expected to be forced into a marriage to a monster? She said no, because he had her, and she would find a way out of this for him. Otherwise, he was in good company with every girl in every fairy tale ever. He met eyes with her. She would stay? She would look out for him? Wow. He sat up in bed. Well, they had several hours. He could think of a way that they could pass some time in bed. She said that she, thank you, but she really didn't think of him like that. So, as a chess opponent, he said, catching his breath after straining to reach the side table where, yes, a chess set sat for some previously unreferenced reason. She said that that's not where she thought this was going, but yeah, chess. Yep, let's play some chess. And according to the story, they, according to the story, it was not a euphemism. They sat there and played chess. Signy crouched in her nook as the door creaked open and the giantesses thudded in. Helene slept in the bed where she had left him after commanding the swans to sing. Turns out those guys will sing for just about anyone. She heard the younger giantess urge the swans to sing and they did and Signy held her breath. Helene would have to nail this change of heart. Guess who's getting married? The younger giantess screamed to her mom a few minutes later. Signy heard an embrace and the girl in the nook exhaled. Lainey pretended to be famished and gulped down the food, and Signy was legitimately impressed that he steered the conversation purposefully, but not obviously, to the runes on his bed. The giantess was much more chatty now, and read them out. Glide, glide, my good bed, wherever I want to go, she said. No discordant honks later, and the golden bed rose from the stone and hovered. Signy dared to look and saw the giantess gently press it back down to the floor where it stayed. All right, now they were in business. Magic bed. They could whole new world their way out of here the following day if the giantess didn't have any more magic, and that was a pretty big if, they could make it back to the city and warn everyone to get inside the gates. This was looking up. Then, Helene kept talking and Signy overheard something that completely changed her plan. We'll see Signy's grand plan, but that will be right after this. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Signy didn't sleep that night, partially because she wanted to be ready the moment the giantesses left to hunt, partially because she had been found. 
by a swan who wanted to hang out. Were they really humans? And also wouldn't leave her alone. Regardless, she heard the excitement of the giantess and the disappointment in her voice when she learned, one, that Helene still didn't want to be a married couple with her, not until they got their own place, he explained. She shared a bed with her mom. And two, he wanted to stay. It was still a little jarring to go from captive to husband, and he needed some time to process that. The giantess said that she loved and trusted and believed him, but she was still going to knock him out for 8 to 12 hours until she returned. Nanite! The prince tried to protest, but his snores followed the swan's honks. The door creaked, light filled Signy's nook, and then they were in darkness again. She waited about 10 minutes, in case the giants forgot something, before stealing out of her nook and jumping in bed with the prince. She woke him up for the last time, said goodbye to the swans, and told them that they were free to do whatever it was that swans who could put people to sleep with a few honks could do. I mean, maybe a sleep podcast? They would kind of kill it there. She told Helene to grab his things. They weren't coming back here. He grabbed his arrows, armor, and the javelin he had on him when he had been kidnapped. While Signy opened the heavy door, he said the words the giantess had told him the night before, the ones to make the bed fly, and it began hovering. He sat on the foot, little Nemo style, gripping the knobs that extended up from the corners. All right, let's go. The bed didn't move, just stayed, hovering. He tried swaying it back and forth. Huh. He didn't know what to do. What you do is sit back there and let me drive, Signy said, pushing the prince to the head of the bed. It was magic, and it was activated by voice, so it could be controlled by voice. Looking out on the dew, the sun just cresting the horizon, the prince said his heart was bursting with joy. He was going home. Signy said, yeah, not yet, whispered something to the bed, and they took off. A few moments later, they were parked at the top of one of the pines. Alrighty, did Helene have that javelin? Helene looked down to where the giantess and her daughter were sitting, tossing an egg back and forth. He said that, wow, the giantess, technically his wife, wasn't lying. They just sat in the forest and tossed their hearts, encased in that singular egg, back and forth. And oddly, the giantesses looked like they were having an awesome time, though Signy guessed that if one of them slipped once, the egg would drop, destroy their hearts, and kill them both. Then why do they do that? Lini asked. I mean, why go through all the trouble to be functionally immortal? I fought them when they took me. You can't even cut them. But then sit there and toss it back and forth. Signy shrugged. They probably did it because they were immortal. Think. If the old stories were true, and Signy reckoned that at least some bits of them were because they were sitting on a flying bed watching giants, then these two probably fled to Midgard, or Earth, from Jotunheim, and Thor's purges. Maybe they couldn't go home. Maybe the way here had been destroyed, and they were stranded in a land that fears them. Or maybe if they tried to traverse the world tree, Thor would find them and finish what he started. 
So, now they're here. They're like gods. They're immortal, but without purpose. Maybe they found that surviving endlessly when they lost everyone is worse than death. So, in between eating enough so that they don't end up koshed, a withered remnant of themselves that still can't die, they toss their hearts back and forth. It's the closest they can get to death. And it's the only time that they, who have so much life, are able to feel alive. Lini sat there and wiped a tear from his eye. Wow, that's, that's kind of tragic. Signy nodded. Yeah, yeah, it was. All right, kill him. Lini said, what? But all that, the sympathetic backstory. Signy said that, yeah, she didn't know any of that. That was pure speculation. They took him for two weeks and tried to force him into marriage. If they could be reasoned with, they would have been. If the tales were to be believed, she had sympathy for the Yatnar. But these ones were a risk to her family and everyone she cared about. He needed to take the shot or she would. Lini said that he kind of felt bad for them. Maybe they deserved a chance. Signy said, yeah, a chance to burn down her village and eat her parents. She picked up the bow and knocked an arrow. She said he probably couldn't hit it anyway. Lini said, hey, hold up. He was a medieval prince, which meant he did basically two things. Went to fancy dinners and went hunting. Sometimes he brought the fancy dinners on his hunting trips. Killed two birds with one stone. He could hit that egg midair. Signy took aim. Uh, yeah, right. She felt the bed rock a little, and before she had a chance to take her shot, she saw the javelin fly and hit the golden egg as it passed between mother and daughter. The prince and the cotter grimaced as, yep, mission accomplished. They thought the woman would turn to dust, the eons catching up with them the instant the egg was broken, but nope. The story says they violently convulsed on the ground, screams muffled by the foam that was coming out of their mouths. Lainey tried to urge her to leave, but Signy shook her head, reaching for the prince's dagger. They had gone this far. If the giants weren't dead, she would have to finish them off. They waited until the giants were still, then another few minutes before taking off into the sky. Signy commanded the bed, and they flew toward the kingdom. They approached the town, castle in view, when Signy fumbled the dagger. It careened to the street below. She scrambled and, in her apparent clumsiness, knocked the bow, arrow, and sword off too. Oh no! They were nearly outside the wall when the bed dove, crashing through the roof of Signy's humble home, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory style. Her parents stood there in shock. So did Lini, but Signy brushing herself off, told them that they needed to watch her friend here. She had a meeting to get to. The king cracked his neck. Oh man, was he done yet? He really wanted to be done. Wait, he was king. And he was still dying because he was so sad. He stood and announced that he was finished hearing supplicants today. He was going to go back to bed and cry himself to sleep over his son. That's what I wanted to talk to you about. The young woman, the last person in line for the day, 
emerged, throwing back her hood. She said she was a cotter, like her father before her. If she were able to bring back his son, would she be given the reward? It would be offensive anyway, but the king made sure to drive home just how hilarious he thought the prospect was. It was like that scene in Austin Powers when the laughing just keeps going. The king wiped his eyes. Wow. Thanks for that. Um, he didn't know if she picked up on the not-so-subtle wording of the decree, but he didn't really expect a young woman to be able to retrieve his son when the best warriors in the kingdom had come back empty-handed. Scandinavia wasn't quite as bad about misogyny as a lot of medieval Europe, but it was still the Middle Ages. The young woman clarified, So, if she could bring his son back today, he wouldn't give her anything? The king shrugged. Yes, if she did the impossible and brought his son back, she could have half his kingdom, like the decree said. They started up the laughing thing again, but it was cut off by a whistle from Signy, the young woman. The king froze as the crowd parted, and Signy's father and mother led Prince Helene. Helene smiled and waved. Hi, Dad. She rescued me, and I've been staying with her family. Have you tried gruel? It's horrible. We should pay our workers more. The king ran to Helene and embraced the young man. He was alive. He was home. They both looked up to see Signy sitting on the throne. Helene's throne. One half of the kingdom. It was hers now. Helene nodded. It, you know, you'd be, be real. It stung that his inheritance was gone, but it couldn't go to a better person. Signy smiled and then patted the seat next to her. It didn't have to stay all hers. Did he want to get married? Helene said, I, I mean, they got along well and all, but he was still young and coming out of a bad marriage. Yes, he will marry you, the king said. Helene stomped his foot. What? So unfair. Nope, she controls half her kingdom. I don't care. You're marrying her, the king said nodding to his new queen, but not his queen. This was weird, but he adapted, and in time grew to love and respect his daughter-in-law. And despite this probably just being a marriage of political convenience, so Signy didn't need to deal with a rogue claimant to the throne before establishing her own power base, the story says that the pair did love each other long and well. She, the smart and capable ruler, he, the pretty-faced symbol of the monarchy. She governed and... He did what he did best. Fancy parties and hunting trips. Though he kept out of any strange mists. What I liked was not just how the heroine rescued the prince, but how, at the end, she kind of low-key kidnaps him herself to ensure the king will stick to his deal, despite her being a young woman. The last little bit was an adaptation based on the events of the story. Signy, who, yes, got half the kingdom, had a massive amount of power, but in the original, it course-corrects hard into fairy tale land, with the prince taking his seat on his throne and padding for Signy to join him, then asking his father's permission to marry her, her thoughts not really being mentioned. I thought my version fit with the spirit of the story and the events that happened literally the sentence before, but I thought I'd mention that little change. 
I posted a link to the original in the show notes. Next up, it's a super short tale of life, death, and love, set in Iceland. And it begins in a graveyard. It's from the story entitled, Gone is My Glowing Skin Tone. But that will be read after this. Hey, mind giving me a hand with that human thigh bone? The gravedigger asked the servant girl of the pasturage. She looked and saw, yes, a thigh bone, a big one, and most of the leg below it. The dog had been chewing on the bone part and snarled, but she just ignored it and swiped the body part from the animal. It whined and walked off. The girl dragged the bone back to the open grave and then looked down. Aw, he was young. He was young. About her age, his raven black hair fell down over his face, hiding his quickly decaying eyes. Yeah, died in the war, the gravedigger said. They didn't know who he was or where he came from or else they would have sent him back there. That's why he was being buried on some Wednesday morning, alone, by the gravedigger. Wow, look at him, the girl said, studying the young man's, you know, kind of buff body, it's, it's in the story, in his face. I would have liked to kiss him. Ugh, don't be gross, the gravedigger said. It was too early for that. She said, what was gross? He looked like an attractive young man, and she would like to have kissed him. Past tense. The gravedigger shook his head. Whatever she meant, that wasn't how it sounded. It was too early, and he had too many more bodies to bury to be talking about this. The girl shook her head. Nope. If she had to live through this terrible time in world history, with everyone dying all the time constantly, she wasn't going to also not be herself. She wished she could have kissed this guy when he was still alive because he was hot and it would have been fun. Sorry, not sorry. She told the gravedigger to have a good day. Why would you say that, he said, pointing to his to-do list, i.e. the pile of young men still yet to be buried. I'm clearly not going to have a good day. The morning turned to day and the day to evening and the pastorage heard the gravedigger checking off his to-do list while everyone else worked at their roles. The sun set, and the young woman was summoned. It was her boss, the pastor. He needed something. He greeted the girl when she walked in the room. Hey! So, she wasn't scared of anything, right? She just did not give up. Yeah, that is true, yes, the girl said. How could her apathy and general disdain for everyone and everything help the pastor? The man said... He left a book on the altar at the church, a book that he was hoping to read tonight. She didn't understand. The church was just right across the lawn. The pastor said yes, but that lawn was also a graveyard and everything was shadowy and spooky in the dark. And Could she go for him? The girl smiled and rose. Absolutely, no problem. And she wouldn't even tell everyone that he was afraid of the dark and a coward. Oh, thank you so much, the pastor said. And the girl left. The fresh dirt on the graves seemed to glow in the moonlight. An owl hooted. 
Leaves and trees rustled and scraped. And the girl, walking through it all, appreciated the ambiance of the forest at night. It was kind of nice. She opened the front door to the church, and it creaked. She would need to talk to the pastor about talking to the hired hands to take care of that. In the shaft of moonlight that illuminated the church, the girl saw the book sitting at the altar. Nice. She left the door open to light her way, boards creaking underneath her feet. When she put her hand on the book, though, the door slammed shut. She was alone in the dark. Or so she thought. Her eyes adjusted to the darkness. Enough for her to find her path to the door and open it. When she did, she noticed a darkened form sitting in the last pew, eyes emanating a pale green in the darkness. She turned and it, he, was the young man, the young man from the grave earlier that day. He turned to her and said, quote, Gone is my glowing skin tone, good my maid and faded. Look in my dead eyes, lady, lustrous of old, though cold now. Hacked in half, my buckler had I in your war, my beards uncleaned. But kindly, kiss me if you still wish to. The girl looked on his dead face, his cloudy eyes, his dirt-caked beard, and shrugged. Yeah, sure. She walked over to the ghost kissed him, and then left with the pastor's book. When the door closed, the pew was empty. The ghost, not expecting that at all, had gone to his rest. So I loved the story the first time I read it, because so many times you have stories that have a self-assured, oftentimes female character, and they work to tear them down. But here was a kind of a fearless girl who met the ghost challenge, and the story says she thought nothing of it. The fact that she was so nonchalant, just did it, and, oh, that was nice, and walked away, was perfect. Of course, there's another version of the story where the girl did run away in terror and was never the same again, but only because that's like every other story of this type. Next week, we're in Egyptian folklore with the story of someone who finally stands up to a king, secret horse genies, and sorcerer dads. It's a fun episode. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a giant Swiss army knife, an almost 10-inch long pocket knife with 87 implements and 147 functions, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of this show that actually fit in your pocket. Seriously, you could carry a wad of tools and it would still be smaller than the supposed pocket knife. Check out mythpodcast.com slash membership for more info on the membership. The creature this week is the High Uru from the Khoi Khoi people of South Africa. The High Uru, despite sounding like a Lord of the Rings orc name, the other way around, is not that. It's a trans-dimensional being. The name apparently literally means that. Heavy on the trans-dimensional part, though, because only half of it has arrived here. The creature is literally half of a body, half of a head, one eye, one arm, one leg, and so on. 
you'd think that a trans-dimensional being would have some cool, like, space mace or quantum sword or time's arrow, which are either arrows that send you back in time, an excellent episode of Bojack Horseman, or an unsettling book by Martin Amos. The creature doesn't have any of those things, though. It just uses a boring, normal club. Someone needs to talk to it about branding. I mean, even with only half of its body being in our dimension, it can still move as fast as a gazelle and break bones with a single punch. I guess it's pretty angry because it's well known for being difficult to deal with. I'm not sure if it's actively malicious or just hungry because though it eats humans, maybe it sees us the same way we see some of the animals we eat. Regardless, if you feel like trying your hand against a trans-dimensional human-eating super-powered monster, first, say that sentence a few times, and if you're not a Marvel superhero, maybe sit this one out. This might be the path to becoming a Marvel superhero, though, because if you manage to somehow best the trans-dimensional super monster, it will teach you some space magic or whatever it uses, which is cool, though one source I found just says that it will show the winner, quote, lots of medicines, which you would then need when the high uru breaks free and comes after you for trapping it. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. The theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>